My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. a real sense of accomplishment. There was just something so beautiful about reclaiming our territory and seeing our territory be completely free of industry. We had stories of animals coming back. Within hours, the territory finally had a chance to breathe again, and we certainly felt that way. That's the voice of Jennifer Wickham. She's today's guest on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. One of the most high-profile Indigenous land defence struggles taking place within so-called Canada over the last few years is that of the Wet'suwet'en defending their territory against the construction of the Coastal Gas Link, or CGL, pipeline. Jennifer Wickham is a Cassia, or Grizzly Bear House, member in the Gidimden clan of the Wet'suwet'en people. She's also the media coordinator for the Gidimden checkpoint. Wet'suwet'en territory encompasses 22,000 square kilometers in the north of what is colonially known as British Columbia. Like most other indigenous nations in BC, the Wet'suwet'en have never signed a treaty with the Crown, and even Canada's colonial legal system has, through the 1997 Delgamuk decision, recognized that Wet'suwet'en and neighboring Gidiksen territory are unceded and that the rights to that territory continue to be held by the traditional governance systems of those nations. The CGL pipeline would carry fracked gas from a point near the Alberta-BC border to a massive proposed LNG terminal on the coast, crossing Wet'suwet'en territory along the way. Since it was first proposed, the traditional governance system of the Wet'suwet'en has repeatedly made clear that they oppose any and all pipelines crossing their territory. Band councils, which are not part of traditional governance and are constituted by the Canadian state, do not hold the rights to the land, and have only municipality-like authority over the tiny proportion of territory designated as reserves, have signed agreements with Coastal GasLink, but Wickham says that the number of Wet'suwet'en who support the pipeline is actually, quote-unquote, very few. For more than 10 years, a number of Wet'suwet'en house groups and clans have been reoccupying the different parts of the territory for which they are responsible. One of the first of these was the Unistoten, who set up a camp in the path of multiple proposed pipelines, including CGL. In 2018, an injunction was issued against the Unistoten, and it was at that point that the Gidimden decided to show support by setting up a checkpoint on the road leading to the Unistoten camp. There have been many important crises and actions and changes on the ground over the subsequent years of struggle, including the massive cross-Canada uprising of the shutdown Canada movement in early 2020, but the overarching dynamics have been much the same. On the one side have been Wet'suwet'en land defenders occupying their own territories in accordance with their own laws and with the support of allies, and on the other have been the company and the Canadian state, using every mechanism at their disposal, including militarized police and outright violence, to force the pipeline through in the name of profit. When the COVID-19 pandemic began, it interfered with resistance, but the company and the government made sure that work on the pipeline continued full steam ahead. But resistance has, of course, continued as well. Most recently, 
Drilling underneath Wedzenkwa, the main salmon-spawning river in Wet'suwet'en territory, seems to have begun. And Wickham said that at the moment, the magnitude of the RCMP presence and the intensity of the ongoing repression, quote, is really limiting any actions that we're able to take, end quote. But in recent months, they've been making renewed calls for solidarity actions, and there are signs that more and more people are starting to respond. In fact, next week's episode of Talking Radical Radio will feature two solidarity activists talking about what they've been doing. And Wickham strongly emphasized that the struggle is far from over. I speak with Wickham about the Wet'suwet'en struggle to defend their land against the coastal gas link pipeline. Great. Hadi Sai Jennifer Wickham Sydney, Gedam Den Hasli, Wet'suwet'en Isen. My name is Jennifer Wickham. I'm a Cassia member, which is the Grizzly House of the Gedam Den clan of the Wet'suwet'en people. I am the media coordinator for Gedam Den Checkpoint and co director and producer for the documentary film titled Yinta, which will be on Wet'suwet'en Fight for Sovereignty. Wet'suwet'en territory is 22,000 square kilometers. It covers a really broad terrain, mountains and valleys and lakes and rivers. Currently, we are fighting to protect Wet'suwet'en, which is our main salmon spawning river within Wet'suwet'en territory. It goes from Wet'suwet'en territory through Gitan territory and all the way down to the west coast. Within Wet'suwet'en territory, there are six different band council or reserves, but our occupation of our territory isn't limited to the reserves. So the reserve system was put in place to remove our people from our territory so that we wouldn't be able to defend it or protect it from extraction and industry. So in the last 10 years plus, there have been different Wet'suwet'en house groups and clans that have reoccupied our traditional territories. So within our nation, there are 13 house groups, and each one is responsible for different parts of the territory. There's Unistoten, which is a house group within the Gilsehu clan, and they have been occupying their territory for over 10 years now. And it's originally built within the right-of-way for several proposed pipelines. Currently, a coastal gas link pipeline that is beginning drilling under Wadzinkwa. And then in 2018, the Gidimden decided to physically show our support. We've always been working together, but there was an injunction that was granted to Coastal Gas Link from the provincial courts. And Gidimden decided as a clan that we were going to set up a checkpoint because in order to get to Unistoden, they would have to go through Cassia territory. Talk about the significance of the Supreme Court of Canada's Delgamuk decision in the context of the struggle against the CGL. The hereditary chiefs of the Wet'suwet'en and the Gitsan nations did a joint case for the rights and title claim to our territories. And that resulted in a Supreme Court of Canada decision in 1997 that confirmed that neither the Wet'suwet'en or the Gitsan had ever given up their rights and title to their territories. And then, of course, the day after that decision was announced, the provincial and federal governments, as well as industry, formed a committee in how to strategize how they would best be able to suppress that decision so that they would still have access to the resources on our territory. So it's been a very active campaign of all levels of government and industry 
to continue to steal our resources and trespass on our territory, even though they knew and still know full well that the Wet'suwet'en and Gitan people have never given up their rights and title. There's been other court cases, but it's certainly on the back of Delgamuk and Gestewe that we have been asserting our jurisdiction over our territories. How did the Wet'suwet'en people first learn that the CGL pipeline was a possibility? And how did you first start organizing to respond to that? So the way that our governance structure works is within the 13 house groups, each house group is responsible for their own part of the territories. They had already been starting to have house group meetings, and then all those houses get together in their clans. Within Gidimden, there's three different house groups. So, for example, we would have a Cassia meeting to talk about the territories that would be impacted within our house group. And then we get together with the rest of the Gidimden clan and come to a decision. And then all the clans would come together within our Batlat, which is our feast hall system. It's our governance hall and make a decision and support each other to pass a law. And so the first meeting was in 2011, and all of the clans unanimously decided and asserted that no pipeline would cross Wet'suwet'en territory. So that's all the house groups of all the clans got together. And since then, there have been multiple feasts where that was reasserted. And so Ludisbin where the Gidemden checkpoint is, and Unistoten, the boundary is the river. And so at the bridge, crossing over Wadzinkwa into Unistoten territory is where they had set up a gate and been controlling access to their territory, refusing entry to anybody that wouldn't benefit the Unistoten or the territory. So, you know, there were people that were allowed through local folks and they wanted to go out hunting, for example, or go out fishing, they would be able to get access to the territory. But anyone who was working for the pipeline, like surveyors, could not answer the questions, the protocol questions to the satisfaction of the Unistoden. And so that was part of their free prior and informed consent protocol that they enacted. And so when Coastal Gaslink got the injunction, Unistoten followed the process of having a house group meeting. So Cassia got together and decided that they wanted to erect a checkpoint in Ludisbin territory as a buffer, as a way to protect our Unistoten relatives. And then that was brought to the entire clan. And then we brought it to a feast. That was in December of 2018. So one common talking point from CGL and its supporters is, well, there are lots of Wet'suwet'en people who support the pipeline. How do you counter that? There are actually very few. The majority of people that are very vocal about supporting the pipeline are very few in comparison to those who participate in our traditional governance and were present and supportive of our law to ban all pipelines from our territory. That being said, we don't ever want to speak out against our own people. So we are well aware that there are individuals who are speaking out against the work that we are doing in upholding Wet'suwet'en law. And I think that it's a very underhanded, tricky game that the industry and government are playing in trying to pit elected ban council systems against our hereditary system because they say within their own legislation that the reserves 
chief and council is only responsible and only has jurisdiction over the reserve area. And that's more like a kind of municipality governance structure. So they're responsible for housing and water and refuse and those types of things that like a township or a city would be responsible for within their boundary limits. But it very, very clearly says within the Delgamuk decision that the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs are the ones who represent the 22,000 square kilometers. And this pipeline doesn't cross a single reserve. So I'm not sure how legally they can justify these impact benefit agreements with the band council systems, but they found some sort of legal loophole, I'm sure, to be able to say like, oh, we made all these agreements with these Wet'suwet'en communities. But that'd be like going to the city of Vancouver and making an agreement for the entire province. Like, it just doesn't work that way. But yeah, obviously, they will try and get access any way they can. And the divide and conquer tactic is alive and well, just as it has been since the beginning of colonization. Talk a bit more about the role that the RCMP has played throughout all of this, in terms of their conduct in general and their work in enforcing the will of the company. The RCMP are doing exactly what they were designed to do. When colonization first started, the RCMP was created in order to deal with the Indian problem. Their job has always been to contain and suppress and oppress the Indigenous people so that the Crown, so-called Canada, the Corporation of Canada, can have access to all of the resources that it wants. We see the RCMP doing exactly what they were created to do. I know that there's probably a lot of folks within mainstream society that see the police as like keeping the peace or keeping people safe. They have never interacted with Indigenous people that way. Indigenous people very purposefully have been framed as being lawless heathens all throughout history. And that continues today with the criminalization of Indigenous people protecting their own lands something that we not only have a right to do, but we have a responsibility to do within our own laws. And so it's not surprising at all that the RCMP are taking direction directly from Coastal Gas Link. We have seen on numerous occasions where the RCMP will show up while we're doing ceremony, for example, with harassment and intimidation taking place, like threatening us with arrest. And we have seen that, of course, in our everyday, the RCMP showing up and sitting at the end of Slato's driveway every morning, constant drive-bys. She doesn't live anywhere near the right-of-way of the pipeline. And they pull over and harass and intimidate anybody coming and going from our reoccupation site. For a while earlier this year, they were coming into camp multiple times a day at all hours of the day and night to just harass and intimidate my auntie and uncle who live there, any of our supporters that were there. The SERG or Community Industry Response Group, they were created, I want to say in 2017, and their sole purpose is to suppress Indigenous resistance to industry projects. 
So one of the most visible moments of struggle against CGL was the shutdown Canada movement that took place at the beginning of 2020, when roads and railways across the country were shut down in solidarity. Talk about how you experienced that moment. It started with the eviction of Coastal GasLink and all their contractors and employees from the territory in January of 2020. And we had secured the road. Gidimden Checkpoint, as well as Unistoten, were essentially cut off. So what we had done in order to run supplies and keep an eye on them to ensure their safety, because it's such a remote area, was we set up a watch camp for folks to be able to keep an eye on the ground and to be able to receive supplies for the two occupation sites. And then RCMP set up the exclusion zone. And that was the RCMP's way of controlling who could get in and out of the reclaimed territory. There was a real sense on our end of accomplishment. There was just something so beautiful about reclaiming our territory and seeing our territory be completely free of industry. We had stories of animals coming back within hours of the eviction. You know, the territory, I feel like, finally had a chance to breathe again. And we certainly felt that way. I would be out like running supplies every day to 39 kilometer. And every time I went into camp, people were just like, what's happening out in the world? And it was just like story after story after story of all of these solidarity actions and people like really getting amped up because it was this very clear demonstration of the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs claiming that jurisdiction, enacting those rights and titles, and practicing our laws. I think that was encouraging people to be doing the same in their territories, just really motivating people to take action in support. And we were seeing such beautiful actions taking place. Of course, when... The arrest started happening on the first morning. They went into the Wolverine watch camp and quite violently arrested the peaceful people that were there who were not in breach of the injunction. They were released later that day. None of them ever had any charges against them. And I think that pissed off a lot of people to see such blatant violence and racism against People that were totally unarmed, totally out of the way. And we saw that. We saw the reaction all across so-called Canada with our allies and relatives that occupied trains and highways and ports. It was kind of surreal on this side of things to be getting the reports every day of all of the things that were happening. And, you know, our people experienced attack dogs and helicopters and semi-automatic rifles and snipers. And, you know, they had a lethal overwatch and the government had social workers with Ministry of Children and Families and, you know, all of these people that meant us harm. You know, they were ready to kill somebody. Thankfully, it didn't come to that, but they were prepared for it. And that just shows the extent to which Canada and industry will go in order to get what it is that they want, which at the end of the day is the almighty dollar. And the provincial and federal government both came to the table and decided that 
They would enter into discussions with the Wet'suwet'en and hereditary chiefs. And the Memorandum of Understanding was signed in 2020 on the heels of Shutdown Canada. And what they agreed to in writing was that they would discuss ways to implement our rights and title. It's not a discussion of if we have rights and title. The conversations are very much about how to implement it. And they had planned on having all of that completed within a year. Of course, we're in 2022 and there hasn't been any movement on that whatsoever. The provincial and federal government won't agree to any of the terms that have been set out. And of course, now we're at a point where Coastal Gas Link is starting their drilling work to tunnel under Wadzinkwa. And so our right and our responsibility to protect that waterway is now under threat. The provincial and federal government, even though that they have agreed to implement our right to protect and preserve our waterways, they are set to destroy it. Draw together the rest of what's been going on with the pipeline and with your resistance to it over the last couple of years. So, of course, after the pandemic hit, everyone was isolated and fragmented and there wasn't a lot of actions or movement. We had hoped that it would also delay Coastal Gas Link's construction. It did not. And so in September in 2021, Cassia Gidimden Checkpoint occupied the proposed drill pad site and created Coyote Camp. That was the most recent occupation of Cassia territory, Ludaspin territory. And that occupation lasted for almost two months before the militarized RCMP invaded. All of the structures that were on site at Coyote Camp were bulldozed and brought to the dump. And since then, it has been just increased RCMP harassment and intimidation. Earlier this year, my sister Slato, as well as like my auntie and uncle and our entire Gidimden clan filed a civil suit against the RCMP, CGL, and CGL's security foresight for intimidation and harassment. We have foresight security sitting outside of camp 24 hours a day, surveilling and monitoring and recording everyone that is coming and going, including children. They were coming into camp, like I said, multiple times a day, all hours of the day and night. In the last couple of months, there's been five arrests, all for bogus traffic stops. One of the stops, they actually pepper sprayed all three of the occupants in the vehicle. One of them was already in handcuffs when they did it. The RCMP and the CERG have stopped coming into camp, but they have increased the harassment and intimidation of people driving on the road. So it's been pretty intense since the launch of the civil suit. The daily harassment and intimidation just doesn't stop. Coastal Gas Link and Forsyth Security have denied that they're doing any of these things. And there's actually no response from the RCMP. So the next step in that process is to see when we can get before a judge to get a default decision. And that would mean that the RCMP are automatically guilty of intimidation and harassment because the Department of Justice has refused to respond in the courts. Last weekend, we heard 
from folks that were at Unistoten that they could hear and feel the drilling start underneath Tuatinkwa because there is such heavy oppression from the RCMP. Like we literally can't move on our territory without foresight security relaying our whereabouts and every single move. And there's a heavy police presence at the drill pad site. And so the hereditary chiefs did a cross-country nation-to-nation tour where we went and met with a lot of our allies all across so-called Canada and just really asking for folks' support because the oppression that we're experiencing in the daily violence from RCMP and security is really limiting any actions that we're able to take. I think that that call out for support and solidarity is starting to maybe like remobilize folks that have always been supportive of what it is that we're doing. And I think it's really clear for all of our allied nations and relatives across so-called Canada that we are upholding our sovereign rights and our laws as Wet'suwet'en people. And I think that the broader community of citizens of so-called Canada are starting to realize that we're doing what's right and we're doing it for everybody. We're not just doing it for the Wet'suwet'en or the Gitsan. It's critical for everybody not just Indigenous people, not just people that are downstream from us, but everybody across so-called Canada to really become educated on the colonial history and the present struggles that Indigenous people are facing. If people are real about reconciliation, specifically the truth part of the truth and reconciliation, you have an obligation to learn about the real history and the things that are happening in present day to the Indigenous people in so-called Canada. We are really looking at human rights violations. We have three letters from the United Nations condemning Canada for the way that they're treating the Wet'suwet'en people. We have not given free prior and informed consent That doesn't even take into consideration all of the environmental implications of the pipeline. You know, we're seeing all across North America, the floods and the fires and the droughts and the hurricanes and, 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 and. And I think that clean drinking water within the globe is so scarce. We need to really do what we can to protect the sources that we do have. We can't expect the government to do anything without the people telling them. And I think it's really important for listeners to know that just because they've started the work to drill underneath Wadzinkwa, that it's not over. The Wet'suwet'en will always do whatever it is that they need to do to protect their territory, just as our ancestors have done for thousands of years. So get involved. You have been listening to my interview with Jennifer Wickham, Wet'suwet'en land defender and media coordinator for the Girumdin Checkpoint. To learn more about the checkpoint, go to yintaaccess.com, that's Y-I-N-T-A-H access.com, and to learn more about acting in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en, tune into the show next week. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.